Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey, everyone. This is Ryan Bell. It's been a little while. Thanks for your patience over the last few weeks as the podcast has been offline, as it were. Uh, as I've gone through some uh, changes in my life, um, these things can sometimes be a little unpredictable. And I am so grateful for your patience and your support. I hope you've had a chance to maybe catch up on some episodes that you missed. Today we have a new X-Files episode, which we will talk about more in just a moment. But right off the top of the show, I wanted to just say hi and uh, let you know that I'm doing all right. I have a friend, a new friend, who likes to use this mantra, uh, no bad days. And I've been a skeptic about this mantra for a little while uh, because um, there are bad days. We all have bad days. Um, but as I listened to her talk about this, it began to make more sense to me. Um, and I think it'll make a lot of sense to those of you that listen to this podcast, and especially uh, it, I think it'll make sense to our guest uh, on the show today, that when you've been through some really challenging, harrowing, even uh, life-threatening experiences in your life, uh, by comparison, it's just great to be alive. And um, I had a moment of reflection about that today um, as I was having, you know, a day that was a little bit less than ideal. Um, I was reminded of, of this, uh, this mantra, no bad days. And uh, I don't know if it means anything to you, but uh, it kind of uh, lifted my spirits a little bit today as I thought about how lucky I am and how privileged I am to be alive and have the friends in my life that I have and to be supported by uh, so many wonderful people. And so I hope you feel supported in, in that way today. Uh, maybe you're having a less than ideal day. And I hope that as you listen to this episode, as you listen to this amazing story that we're about to hear, that you can appreciate your freedom, uh, your life, and uh, the people that you have in it that have uh, supported you. Let me also just quickly say that I've updated uh, some elements on the website, a couple of calendar appointments that I have. And uh, if you're either going to be in St. Louis or San Diego or here in Los Angeles uh, in August, I hope that you will uh, stop in and say hello uh, at a couple of different events that I'll be at. And you can find out more about that on the Life After God website. Thanks again, guys, for your patience. And I hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to The X-Files, Stories of Life After God. This special feature of the Life After God podcast explores stories of diverse people who have left the faith and religion they grew up with. In each episode, individuals will share in their own words how and why their worldview changed, the gains and losses associated with their religious and spiritual transition, the lessons they've learned in the process, and what their life is like now. To learn more about The X-Files and the Life After God podcast, please visit our website at lifeaftergod.org. 
Special thanks to Ian Gordon for the use of the theme music, The Truth Is Out There. If you would like to consider sharing your story in a future episode of The X-Files, please send a short email to ryan at lifeaftergod.org. Today on The X-Files, I speak to Rachel Gunderson. Rachel spent many years of her life trapped inside of a bizarre Christian-based cult that robbed her of her humanity and separated her from her family. She tells a story with compassion and maturity, but you can sense in her voice the pain and loss that she has endured. This is also a story about freedom and healing and the people in her life who have supported her through these transitions. The reconciliation that she's experiencing with members of her family, as well as her own personal identity, is moving. The organization that Rachel was a part of for so many years is still active and functioning in Columbia, Tennessee. To learn more about this organization, please see the show notes for links to their website and a Facebook group dedicated to telling the stories of those who have escaped. Rachel, welcome to the Life After God podcast. Thank you, Ryan. I'm glad to be with you guys. So you have a super interesting story uh, to tell us today, Um, a a somewhat tragic story, but also a story of uh, survival and overcoming, and I'm really excited to get into it. Um, And I just wonder if you would start by just basically telling us a little bit about who you are today, just introduce yourself, and then we'll kind of go back in time uh, to pick up your your early religious story. Yeah, sure. I, I currently live in the greater Nashville area of Tennessee. I Right now, I'm really happy with where my life is. I'm happy with who my friends are, and I've been able to make my life the way I wanted to, and that's perfect for me. Were you a religious person from childhood? Were you raised in a religious family? How did, how did that get started for you? Yeah, uh, religion, Christianity was always a part of my life. It was where I was born. I grew up in the Assemblies of God Church, very Pentecostal. And I remember from the earliest age that I could pick up is I I was all in. It was everything to me. I was the little kid with my face buried on the children's church pew asking for forgiveness of the whole world. That was who I was. Wow. So you were like taking it on as, you know, like it was your responsibility to, you know, bring redemption to the world. Yeah, that was, that was early. It was my, I needed forgiveness and the world need forgiveness and people who were smoking needed to stop smoking. And I prayed to God about that too. (laughs) I was all in. Yeah. I grew up in a denomination that, did not look favorably on smoking. So I, I can relate to that for sure. Yeah. Yeah. All the sins. So many sins. Long <laughs> lists. Yes. <laughs> so was that, a? I mean, your childhood in the church, was that, do you remember that being a fairly positive experience or at that age, was it already something that felt negative in some way or heavy? You know, for most of the years growing up and into being a teenager, it was positive for me. It was, it, I was a very black and white person from an early age. It, you were either sinning or you weren't sinning. You were listening to Christian music or you weren't listening to Christian music. It was very black and white for most of my years growing up. I was, I was on board. 
And then, um, you know, as you got a little older, what, what changed for you? Like, where, where did your religious journey take you in your, like, teen and young adult years? That's, that's a pivotal time. I, by the age of 19, I was a youth leader, a worship leader. I was teaching videography at the pretty large-sized church I was attending at the time in Washington State. And I started to feel like there wasn't enough spiritually for me anywhere I looked. I I wanted to see the, the gifts of the Spirit in worship, and I wanted worship to be a free-formed thing because that's how I was raised and where I was attending at the time and very devoted to where I was attending. It was very mechanical, and it became very... Um, sterile and I began to question so much of my leaders and the the church I was a part of it it became very disheartening for me at that time was it and I I can kind of relate to that um from my young adult years in the church was it did it feel for me it felt like sometimes spiritual leaders they weren't very spiritual they were religious but not spiritual is that kind of how you were feeling as well um, I felt like my leaders were sticking to a schedule oh, yeah. that, yeah, they cared and, you know, they, they wanted to be there, but it was so mechanical that I just became very disheartened. I, I didn't know how to cope with what I perceived at the time as lack of the gifts of the spirit, which is prophesying, speaking in tongues, uh, healings, that didn't exist where I was at and I questioned it and I verbalized it to my leaders and they did not like that. <laughs> yeah, what happened when, I you, was not when you verbalized it? What did they do? They tried to convince me that it wasn't meant for the church at this time and, and that it just, it wasn't for the now. And in response, I just was, I became to a very vulnerable breaking point of, well, if this isn't what it should be, I don't know if I want to be involved anymore. And that's what kind of primed me for the next 10 years of my life. So what happened after that? I had, um, I was very desperate to feel, very desperate to encounter spirituality. And my sister, who's about eight years older than me, we we're very close living with each other at the time. She started attending a a medium to small group that was pretty, they, they seemed different from the other churches I'd been a part of. And she would constantly say, Rachel, you need to come to this group, Rachel there, you know, it's a lot happening here. You know, all these things that you think should be happening is happening in this group. And I finally gave in one Sunday and visited this new church, which was about a maybe 70 adults or somewhat less maybe. And I walked through the door and it felt like all that spirituality I had been craving and dying for just hit me in the face. And for the rest of that service, I could hardly keep myself off the ground. It's just what I had wanted so badly spiritually was all in this room. Describe and it. Describe it for us. What, what, what was happening? Well, I was convinced to go because there was a bishop visiting from Uganda to this church group. And at 
that point, I was told the bishop had received a prophecy that he would meet a prophetess, a female prophet, and in the northwest Washington area, and that their lives would be connected, and he and she would help him. And so his first Sunday there, my sister convinced me to go. It, it sounded very interesting to me. And it was just, here's this Ugandan bishop that was very, I don't know how to say, charismatic. Mm-hmm. And But really what convinced me is then there's this blonde, beautiful, tall woman that gets in front of this congregation and kind of... Um, what's the word chides them or (laughs) tells them they're not worshiping hard enough. (laughs) I'm like, what the heck is this woman talking about? I can't even stand up in here. And it's just that whole experience. I told, you know, my sister and the few people that introduced themselves to me, which all seemed very pleasant at the time. They, I told them, well, I got my own church. This was nice visiting you. Thank you for all this. But within three weeks I was hook, line and sinker. I didn't go back to my other church. I, even with my senior pastor and youth pastor completely discouraging me and telling me that this woman was bad news, the woman who was the leader of the group, her name is Cheryl, I just didn't care. I, they presented to me something I could feel, and I wasn't getting it elsewhere. So your old church, the leaders that you were kind of disappointed with, they felt like this, they knew about this group already, and they felt like it was bad news? They they had heard about it through, you know, the church grapevines, I guess. And sure. this this woman had actually been an attendant of the group I was the big church I was leaving years and years back. Okay. And they, they knew about her. They knew that she was very charismatic and very uh different. And the words maybe the senior pastor at the time used that is that she was not mainstream Christianity. Which, of course, I mocked at the time because I'm like, well, Jesus told us not to be mainstream. You're like, that's exactly why I want to go there because it's not mainstream. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, narrow is the path. Come on. Right. Um, So, and and my youth pastor called her a a wolf in sheep's clothing, and I just ignored it all. I, like I said, she gave me something to feel. By the second week I was there, she, she was prophesying to me, which apparently was something she did very regularly. She was a prophet. That's what the group considered her to be. And the things she was prophesying to me were very personal to myself. And I believed at that time that this was like, how does she know this? Mm-hmm. What I didn't perceive is that she had many discussions with my sister and I oh, was yeah. 19 years old and pretty naive. And I believed everything she said to me. And and even when I showed my senior pastor that printed out prophecy, he's like, look, this could be anyone. I'm like, no, it's me. Hmm. And I I didn't look back for a long time. I did not look back. Wow. So you got involved, it sounds like. Yeah, I got involved. I I came in with a lot of knowledge on videography. I had my own business at the time of doing just that kind of work with film and editing. And she pretty quickly got me using those skills for her, for, you know, her sermons and her teachings and making videos that edified what she was teaching. Uh, The group was very, I would say a very much a clash of uh, Judaism or Jewish Christian clash culture with 
uh, Pentecostal holy roller. Wow. <laughs> so it was, it was a, it was a lot. And there was the flags and the chauffeur or chauffeur, excuse me, not the driver, but the one blowing the horn. Right. Um, yeah. sorry. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Uh, it was all just very intense. And she was, in the beginning, she was a prophet. Hmm. And through the years, she became the prophet. And as we'll, I'm sure we'll discuss, the, that transition was coupled with a lot of stuff, a lot of anxiety, a lot of paranoia on her part. Um, but my first years of experience there were a mix of just trying to be useful, um, trying to do anything I could to be to receive a positive word from her, a positive, any kind of encouragement to make her happy became pretty quickly my agenda, which was a shared agenda among everyone in that group. Wow. Um, including like, uh, my sister who got me into the group. She was very close to the, to this leader, Cheryl, which I'll most likely just refer to her as Cheryl. She and my sister were, fast friends from the beginning my sister had a way to play the piano and sing lyrics that were very what you would say edifying at the time and so I was kind of just back burner watching this but doing my best to keep up and then at a certain point my sister lost favor with Cheryl which plummeted her through a series of events and my sister stayed with the group through all these years, but there was a period of time where she was not worth much of anything hmm. to Cheryl and the group. And I, I could go into the story of how in one night I was forced to move out of my sister's home or my home with my sister because of weird accusations against my sister. But like you uh, weren't allowed to be around her anymore. Tr- correct. I was separated from her on a, on a particular night where we were called back after a, a prayer meeting that Cheryl was not in attendance at. We were mandated to have these prayer meetings throughout the week. But we were all called back around 10 or 11 o'clock at night. And my sister was accused of imitating Cheryl's tongue or her language that she spoke in tongues. Right. And there was... The best way I could describe that moment is it it was shrill and it was women speaking up an accusation against my sister and my sister being lockjawed because how do you, you know, when a prophet is accusing you of something, how do you, how do you stand up for yourself? Right, right. How do you deny these accusations? And from that point for a good a good year, my sister was not in favor anymore. She was often received bad, what you would call bad prophecies, huh. um, where Cheryl would would just rip and spill out these horrible things to someone like my sister or anyone else's dirty laundry that Cheryl wanted to use as word of God. And I was not allowed to talk to her or be in her presence for quite a long time at least a year and a half before i was allowed to move back in with her wow and she's my best friend yeah 
Um, so it took, I got bounced around to a couple homes within the group. I, um, some dysfunctional homes, some were fine, but it, it took about a, yeah, about a year and a half period before I was really allowed to have a relationship with my sister again. Did, she, did that, and that must've taken a serious toll on your sister as well, emotionally, psychologically. It did because where she was once very useful to a prophet, um, in her realms of being able to edify the prophet, to be, have a friendship that was very close to a prophet, to being cast aside. It was hard on her. It was very devastating. But her her love for this woman and her, her desire to be in it was what pulled her back in eventually. Um, it would probably be from, I'm thinking, 2005 or late 2004 to late 2005 before she was able to come back in with hmm. acceptance. Um, but, but during she still that time, wanted to, like she wanted to come back in after oh, all that. She wanted to, yeah. Even after being ridiculed, publicly shamed, like everybody, anybody of us, if we upset this woman, we were publicly shamed. We were it just, your friends wouldn't talk to you for a little while or a long while if you had really messed up. And who knows what messed up meant? It meant you 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 looked at this prophet wrong. Just slight it was so things. tedious, very slight. But it wasn't so bad in the beginning as it as the years progressed, which is about for me about a nine, a little over a nine year period. The longer you, I went into this group, the more progressive the 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 violence to the attitudes became increased to the paranoia, to the Cheryl, she's very unique. Well, maybe not unique, excuse me. She's very, she became, she became unique to a cult leader. Mm. If not, she already was. Mm -hmm. A cult leader is very paranoid. A cult leader is very controlling. A cult leader demands absolute following. Loyalty. And loyalty is a huge word the more you keep going with this woman, the more you owe her everything and you give her everything. Wow. So yeah, Mary, Mary came back and we, we got our friendship back and, you know, we rebuilt through those next few years, but those, those years were filled with um, a lot of transitions. We went from that Judaism Christianity feel to, we started slowly transitioning via Cheryl's teachings from like Eastern religions and mysticism to um, kind of like new age, eventually to paganism and even witchcraft. Interesting. So a minute ago, I was going to ask you how much the Christian Bible played into all this. It doesn't sound like very much, like it's really whatever comes into her mind. Yes. And yes, it was, it was always there. The Bible is always a part of it. And this is where it gets wonky because it's, it's a bit unusual from what I've heard from other people trying to explain this is that the, the, the Bible, the, the Godhead, the Trinity was always present, but it was always intermingled with these different teachings that came in. And she always found a way to make it fit. And even if it didn't fit, it was your job to accept it. And if you didn't accept it, the problem was with you, not with her. So it was, there was a lot of, um, 
transitioning. Um, there was also a lot of what she would call prophetic acts or anybody in that kind of religion or religious bringing, upbringing is she would do a lot of things to visualize what she says would be happening in the prophetic world, world or realm to bring it into our realm. Um, there were times where she'd have the men slaughter pigs or lambs and she would bring them into the sanctuary, charred the whole animal and have us pick off of it and eat of that animal as a way of some kind of sacrifice or Whoa. some kind of, yeah. And it was, she was just making stuff up. She was, she was always, yes, she was making it up. She was reading tons and tons of stuff like, uh, Eckhart Tolle. Uh, yeah, yeah. Eckhart Tolle. Yeah. I mean, what she would tell us was the word divine given to her from God years later now i read him i'm like that's where she got it <laughs> like she she didn't make us <laughs> she was just copying all these other things you know? <laughs> it's almost like did she read a book from l ron hubbard how to be a cult leader she just she was classic in so many ways of how to control people how to manipulate how to bring people uh, under the submission you wanted them to be in and did all 60 to 70 of these people track with her throughout all this time was there attrition were there new converts um, at, be at the beginning, there was a lot of new people that came in around the same time I did. For mm -hmm. the next maybe three, four-ish years at most, the amount of new people coming in and also going started to minimize. And because she became more paranoid, she, she would make us ask for permission to invite people. And then it got to a point eventually where you, you just didn't bring people in. This was secretive. This was, this was where you, where I literally signed a contract vowing my silence on all things that she had ever taught or who she was, her family, everything. I, she got so paranoid. She created a, a document that and told us it was legally binding. And if we ever disclosed anything that she could come after us and, and we the, all uh... signed it. What was the downside and upside? Like in Christianity, there's heaven and hell. Was there a kind of like, if you part ways with me, you're going to be eternally tortured? Or yeah, was there yeah. like a heaven to be gained and a hell to be avoided? Well, yes, but she also taught reincarnation. So the hell you would endure was a repeated hell into the next life yeah. eventually. Uh and as I later discovered, which I'm sure we'll get into, is that the greatest hell was when she removed her blessing from you. Hmm. Um, the greatest punishment she could give you was to remove herself from your life, from your living. Wow. Uh, that was the greatest thing. So anyone, anytime a person left the group, whether they tried to do it silently or they did it because they figured her out, she would demonize them and she would, um, they're going to die of sickness. They're going to get cancer. They're going to, all the, these horrible things will happen to this person. And whether, anyway, obviously none of that horrible stuff happened, but that was a way to convince us, don't you dare leave. Or talk to them about what they think. Yeah. Oh no. Once someone left, you don't, there was no communication with them. Even if they were your family, you did not talk to them. It was complete shunning. Wow. Yeah, I, I this I mean anyone who's listening to me talk has to, I 
if you haven't gone through it, I don't know how you um, really, I don't know how you appreciate this, but it just sounds crazy. <laughs> it just sounds, how would you do this? Why would you do these kind of things for someone? Well, because you've but, given over, and I, and I think it is hard. I mean, I think it is hard to imagine. I think anybody that's been in an abusive romantic relationship yeah. could perhaps relate to it. Like you give your power away so completely your identity and everything to this other person. And all they have to do is look at you sideways and you're just devastated, right? It's exactly that. She had us all on strings and she had us all working against each other. She, she would, all of us were, if one of us heard something someone else said that was not in line with what she taught or who she was, we would tattle. I tried my hardest not to do it, but I still think I did it. I still think I would be like, oh, Cheryl or pastor. We all had to call her pastor. You know, someone did this, you know, they said this thing. I don't know. And she, she would in turn use that against the person in a way of, again, prophecy. She would prophesy all these horrible things to, about the person in front of everybody and it would be your dirty laundry out there for everyone to see. So you, or excuse me, I, I eventually just didn't trust the people around me. Right. I, because they could turn you in at any moment for saying something for or thinking anything. Something. Yeah. If, and it was so conditioned. And even though I still gave everything I am so much of everything, my finances, my home, my everything, I still, I learned within, I would say halfway through just those, you learn how to be smart. Even if you have these thoughts, you learn how to hide them. And my sister's a testament to that. She, and she's given me permission to talk about this. She, she went through cycles of abuse on herself because of this group. She, she, um, would take sleeping pills and drink herself to sleep just because of, she never, you know, going from, that time forward I spoke to a little bit ago, she always was trying so hard to be in Cheryl's graces that, you know, Cheryl's use of people would be to pull them close and push them away. And then that action of pushing them away would cause such anxiety in my sister. She became an alcoholic for a couple of years, all while being in this group. Wow. And I had no idea. Uh, she hid it very well for me, but I had my own torments and my own demons that I, we, could never talk about with each other because there's still that fear that if I open up to this person, they might tell Cheryl and I'm going to be in big trouble. If I admit, this. even with your own sister, you're not trusting her to confide in her mm-hmm. what you're experiencing and, and she's not confiding in you. Yep. We, and, and I could say that for those years, she was the closest thing I had to a best friend. And even um, so you're not actually talking about anything that's going on in your lives. No, not into the depths of who we are. Everything was on the surface of, who we were supposed to be. And just out of, just for context, I mean, are the members of this group, um, you know, living among normal society? Are they like having children and taking them to school every day and getting married? And what's, what's the, what's life like for everyone? Yes. Uh, there was a lot of normalcy portrayed on the outside there. Uh, there was a time when, um, a lot of the majority of the, group ended up being a lot of 
single females. <laughs> and uh, there was a time when Cheryl really pushed for us to all of us single females, including myself, to start having, um, you know, dating, start getting boyfriends and relationships. And, uh, be, and a big motivator was that is that bringing in more people that you select personally brings more money to the group. And one of biggest Cheryl, Cheryl's biggest motivations was to get money into the group, I see. which there's a whole other chapter in the way she did that um, to the point of causing Amanda divorce his wife within the group and having him marry her. And he was the richest man in the group. Uh, yeah, that's is a whole she married. Other is she married throughout all of this? Does she have a partner and children and all the rest? She uh, was divorced shortly before I became part of the group. Uh, she always demonized her ex-husband and told us horrible, horrible things about who he was and how much he didn't support her and the three children they had. And, um, years later I found out it was all lies. He's an amazing man and he's my friend now. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, it just, it's incredible how much I believed about her, what she told us, but she short, uh, within the year of me starting the group, she had convinced one of the men in the group to divorce his wife and leave his children to court her and marry her. Wow. And he's an anesthesiologist. He is very, very wealthy and he is still legally married to her though. She convinced us they divorced while she paraded other men around the group years later, mm. but she still uses his money and still uses his name when she feels fit to. He's still a part of the group. Uh, he has not lived with the group. He, as far as I know, he. It's very strange to try to explain this, but I think the man lives in Colorado of all places, and he supports her fully with everything he can make. And wow, her. But his ex-wife and children are still in the group, and they still serve her. Weird. Yes, it is. It's very weird. Oh my gosh. Uh, that's a whole nother chapter. That's against I, I don't every, think we have time for. Yeah, that's against every like internal impulse like that you would expect. Mm -hmm. Like this this woman talks your husband into leaving you and the kids, marries you, then kind of like casts you aside, but the ex wife is still loyal to the woman who broke up your marriage. That's still just... so loyal, but the saddest, most sad thing about the whole I mean not one of the most saddest thing about that situation is that this woman has been put down horrifyingly by Cheryl all mm. the years I was involved and still to this day from what I understand is that this woman has been called the Judas spirit, the Jezebel spirit, the angel of light, everything that Cheryl can pin on this woman Ugh. she has. And this woman persists in this group and her children are now 16 to 21 years old and they're still in it too. Wow. And so the group's still going. I mean, we're jumping ahead now, but the, the group's still oh, functioning. Yeah. They're still functioning. And to, I, I can get you there if you want me to. Yeah. How take that, us there. Take us there. The, through the years, I, I mean, there's so many details, uh, through those years, especially when she started promoting, hey, start relationships. I bought, I was like, yes, I want a date. I'm, <laughs> it's about time. I'm, a, I'm about time. I'm 20, young 20 years old, and I still haven't dated. And so I'm like, yes. So I went through a series of uh, 
uh, dating relationships that all ended because eventually Cheryl wasn't satisfied with them. Each and every single one of them I had to break up with because in the end they weren't good enough for Cheryl. Um, I was engaged at one point and I had to break it up because it didn't meet up with Cheryl's um, standards. Uh, So there was a point when she said stop dating to all these single women and men are horrible. Men, men are just, you know, I might be saying a little too far to say calling them sexual predators, but that's kind of what she ended up calling them. But all the while she paraded these men through that she was dating is very confusing, but me on a personal level, I, I was always in trouble towards the end because I would care more about my personal life than how I was serving her. And that involved a lot of um, trying to be in relationships Uh and outside of the ministry and to the point where I was hiding it from her. And then when she would find out about them after maybe four or five months of dating a particular gentleman, uh, I would go break up with him in the middle of the night, not give him explanation and, and, It'd be a horrible, horrible person to this other person mm. because it satisfied her. Um, but I was, oh goodness, I was so much in trouble because of these things. And there was a point towards the last year and a half, I was just always in trouble. I was always coming up with one way to be in her bad graces. Wow. Or um, there's a very important detail to this that I should add is that Cheryl brought us into with the mother nature pagany new age stuff. She brought us into caring this phase of where you need to care for animals. You need to care for mother nature. This is, this is very important. This is what God is telling you. You need to do these things, which aren't bad things, but we became this um, labor uh, or force of labor for uh, volunteering on her command at different animal shelters. It's very strange, but she eventually had to start her own cat shelter. Mm. <laughs> this cat shelter, it's very weird because how does a pagan Christian pseudoscience group become a cat shelter? I but was just waiting for her to become a crazy cat lady, actually. That's, she that's, is a crazy cat lady. That's perfect, actually. I think that's she, perfect. She me into a crazy cat lady. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's she, good. It's, it's, oh, I love it. Um, she basically had to start a shelter under her authority and control. And it started out small where we would have a few felines come into our home and we'd foster them from other organizations until it became our own organizations, which, by the way, is called Eva's Eden. Um, look it up, please. Eva's Eden. And, yeah, Eva's Eden. And dot org if you want to go to their website sure she, she basically it came to such a point where she had these felines be more important than our daily needs than the parents who had children they were not allowed to feed the children before they fed the cats or wow. cleaned up the litter um and we were they were taking in hundreds of cats at a time and and I mean at a time by almost one to two months at a time uh, or every one to two months, excuse me. And I, at the time had a, I brought in a roommate and supporting this roommate. She was a full-time volunteer for Cheryl. 
So every time someone didn't want to take the next new cat, I got the next new cat. And there was one point in the home I was renting, paying for essentially on my own with the help of my sister, we were, we had 30 cats in our home and it did not matter what kind of damage they did, what kind of unhealthy environment these cats presented. These cats were of utmost importance to bring it the weird factor. And these cats carried the 144,000 souls. Whoa. Times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were like and, reincarnated souls or something. As cats. Yeah. And that if we denied them when tribulation came they would deny us and again all these weird psycho things were coming from the word the mouth of god by this time cheryl was the prophet she was the the female christ on earth she was mary magdalene she was god himself and so for i mean this is eight nine years in for you to be that invested and to not believe what she said, you were just condemned. You were done. Hmm. So yeah, this weird cat thing, um, it all kind of tied into how I got kicked out. Uh, there was one point, um, my roommate was, became very financially abusive. She, she just wasn't responsible for anything household wise. And I became very angry about this and, there was a particular night Cheryl had us all at the church and she was doing her thing where she prowls back and forth like a lioness and she's angry about something. She was always so angry at us so often and she just got very, very serious as she always did and said, there's some of you in here that hate me and you're going to tell me who you are. And you can imagine the blood thumping through my chest. Right. I was just like, I feel all this anger. It must be because I hate Cheryl. And so Cheryl had us, those that convinced ourselves to present ourselves. She had us, I mean, how do you explain this? In a frenzy of, she made us scream to her that we hated her and scream to her why we hated her. Sometimes all at once in this one evening, sometimes one by one. And to the point when we were just exhausted, which happened quite a lot in this group, we just got exhausted. Hmm. Um, she had us on our face and she told one of the gals to go get some needles from the Eva's Eden stuff. And we were supposed to draw our own blood and in contract, uh, ask for forgiveness and redemption with our own, our own blood. Whoa. And that was, that's one of the hardest things things I can recollect. I'm pretty distant on a lot of these memories, but that's the, that's the one that still gets me that I was brought to the point to to scream to exhaustion and then to spill my own blood for this woman Mm. uh, because she told me to. And she told there was a one other in the group among the several of us was only maybe 12 or 13 years old. Um, She not only had us, spilling our own blood for her on often occasions, she would put her own blood in the communion because that was drinking the blood of Christ. Whoa. Wow. She's deep. Yeah. It kill it's still there's few things that get me as anymore. I, I'm pretty unaffected by a lot of this now, but talking about those times are probably the hardest. Yeah. It's it's um I will talk about it because it needs to be heard, but I it's hard. Um, 
but she the next the next day after this ritual she has do she had she also had us throw a birthday party for her that we were forced into <laughs> oh my gosh and after, the day after i screamed my hatred for her and told her all these things of these horrible things inside of me in front of the whole congregation i also gave her this $400 necklace that i'm sure she just threw aside wow oh my goodness it's just the place where I was at was just, it was just tormenting. I, there's so little I'm saying in comparison to what took place. No, I can feel that. So, so clearly like there's just so much more like for everything you're telling us, there's like 20 other things probably. So Yes, you're right. There's just so many layers to it. And there are stories much worse than mine. There are, there are individuals who I'm in good contact with now who've also left the group and they are on a daily basis dealing with post-traumatic stress syndrome. Um, if I'm saying that correctly, she, yeah. they're just on a daily basis trying to heal. Um, but I, I, I will fast forward a little bit. Um, I was eventually kicked out of the group because I was trying to have one more relationship with a guy that was taking me away from Cheryl and, she sent my um, sister to bear the bad news. She sent my sister to me to say that you are no longer welcome in this group. And my sister said it through tears. Hmm. And I, I quickly immediately w- went to call the, the individual that I had started to get to know and told him I can't be in this relationship anymore. I'm done. And I emailed Cheryl as quickly as I could to say, I broke it off. I broke it off. I'm done with it. And she just told me, no, God told me of all your grievances throughout the night. And you are, you are nothing to me. Now you have broken covenant. You have spoken of things that should have been secret and which I didn't, but, um, I, the feeling to describe that moment after I got through the shock of it, because to try to give more layers to the situation. I was also planning to move with the group to Tennessee at that time because Cheryl wanted us all to relocate for a myriad of reasons. Huh. Um, but we were all supposed to be moving from Washington to Tennessee to restart Eva's Eden there. I had my bags packed. I had my roommate's bags packed. And that day was just days before I was supposed to move hmm. to Tennessee. And I was, you were not welcome. And so I was under hellfire. I, how do you, the covering of the prophet, the word of God, the the Christ on earth had removed their covering from me and Mm. I was lost. Wow. Yeah, I was. How did that feel? What did you do in those immediate hours after that? I, they all went to service and I was, I had to unpack my roommates things from my things. And decisions were made pretty quickly that I was going to use that plane ticket. I had to move to Tennessee to go pick up the car I had in Tennessee because I had sold my car in Washington. And I had to drive back in the middle of the winter by myself from Tennessee to Washington. I had to beg for my job back for however long they would give it to me in Washington. And I had to move into a home that that was set to be foreclosed. For about three or four months, I didn't know if the home would be shut out on me or not. Um, but all the people I'd considered family, outside of my biological family, turned their backs for the most part. 
and I was no longer welcome, but I was also still required to help with Eva's Eden. It was really weird. They still required my tithing and they still required my cleaning up of things, but I was not welcome in the group anymore. So I, it's just, eventually the Cheryl, the prophet allowed for me to move to Tennessee, but I had to do it on my own and I couldn't be in the vicinity of the group. And the closest place I could find was Antioch, Tennessee, because I also still had five cats that of all the 30 I had at one point, they they got me down to five. Mm. And so I had to find a place that would take me and those cats. <laughs> and it, though <laughs> uh, so that was, those were lonely times. Um, at three or four months between Washington and Tennessee were very lonely. I, I just had the constant feeling of you're going to hell and there's nothing you could do about it. You can't tell your family. You can't confide in anybody what's happened to you. They just think you're really sad. Um, but in my mind, I was going to hell and that I was going to try my damnedest to get back into that group when I got to Tennessee. And when I tried, uh, after moving to Tennessee by myself with a trailer, thankfully I had a cousin help me drive across the country this time, but essentially on my own. I was told I wasn't welcome, and I was told that I would make people uncomfortable if I tried visiting. And so I just made my life. I, I forced myself into getting to know people. And when I was at my lowest, I met some of the greatest people in my life now. Three years later, the people I consider the most important to me were the first ones I met. And... Um, but for that first year, I couldn't tell them anything. I couldn't tell them the guilt and the shame that I carried with me. And they eventually, um, I started opening up more and they were confused of why I was telling them these things. <laughs> but yeah. they were, they, the greatest part was um, I, about a month and a half after moving here, I met my now boyfriend, Jess, and huh. he was, he was what got me through and, he loved me, and I didn't know how to talk to him. I didn't know how to tell him what I was going through. And he was, he was there, and he was present. And he helped me more than he'll ever know. Hmm. He, he already had a great knowledge on cults and religions in general and paganism and all these things. So slowly I opened up to him and gave him bits and pieces. And I even told him, I can't talk about this because I signed a contract. Mm -hmm. I can't, I can't tell you these things because my, in my mind, my soul was in jeopardy if I told him anything about what I'd gone through. And, um, a year later, thankfully my sister, Mary, um, whom I've had a very strained minor relationship with, she had already She'd been living in southern Tennessee, you know, uh, about an hour south of me, and I got to see her maybe once every couple months, and we didn't talk much, but she, I knew that she was a part of the group, and anything I said to her would be, it'd be, uh, I'd be reported or something. They would, I was afraid she would tell Cheryl everything of my life, so I didn't tell my sister anything. Yeah. But she came, she called me one day and freaked me out completely and said she needed to meet with me in private and that there was something very, very important she had to tell me. And I was scared. <laughs> I oh was my. so paranoid. 
I'm like, what is she going to tell me? Is she going to tell me they want me back? I can't go back. I've made my life. Right. And uh, I made, I forced out of her what the basis of why she wanted to meet me. And she said, I'm leaving the group. And I did not see that coming. I, I was instantly so sad because there had to be something very wrong for her to do that because she was so in, in, she was so tied into everything. But I met with her and she started out with um, that she was very sorry and she was very grieved in what she was forced to do to me, to how she had to kick me out and turn her back hmm. on me. And when we were best friends, I mean, we, there was no closer friend I had than my sister. And um, she told me, and she again, she's giving me permission to talk about this part of her story is that she was leaving the group because who she was was not acceptable because she was coming out of the closet and she found someone she loved very much. And it was a, it was a female obviously. Yeah. And that was, I mean, Cheryl very heavily discouraged homosexuality. Right. It was not an okay thing for in Cheryl's group or the way she presented things. And to hold on to Mary, she even said, well, I'll make homosexuality. Okay. I'll tell the people that it's acceptable in the eyes of God. And, Thankfully, Mary did not buy into that, but that was um, two years ago, and Mary finally cut herself clean of the group, and she's she moved to a different state, and she's thankfully she's growing, and she's she's learning to be herself for the first time, and when she made that stand to leave, gave me full permission to start my healing process. Yeah. Um, it finally, because the thing she told me that day about the lies that Cheryl had been telling us about so many, so many things that were inconsistent with how she had taught us to believe Mary told me. And I was furious. I was mad for my sister that she had gone through so much that she had been through the, self-abuse to hide who she was and I was just furious with this woman and I started opening up I started telling my whole story and piece by piece everything started to come together and um, my new family and my biological family were there for me once I finally started to tell them the truth which is that was an incredible year of discovering myself and it's really only been about a year since then until now Uh, or two i would say the first year living in tennessee was hiding the second year was was letting myself open up and this third year has become i want to talk i want people to know about this woman who still abuses and still hurts the people who follow her, even though they will follow her to their death. Wow. I, I just want people to know because they're still active in Columbia, Tennessee. They're, they do their cat shelter thing down there, and there is some good they do, but it's at a high cost. It's, um, it's at a cost of there are 30 to 40 cats in each of those homes, which they don't tell the public about. It is at a cost that Cheryl still to this day continues to threaten the people with damnation. 
whether they realize it or not, it's still, it's still very heartbreaking what she's doing to people. I've had recent contact with some of them that is she still telling them when you mess up my father, her Cheryl, Cheryl's father has heart attacks or when you mess up, the people are tormented. And so she's, she is not changed. She still rides them like she did when I was a part of the group. And how many of them are left now? It's not as many. It's maybe 30 to 40. Yeah. Um, but all the kids that were just little kids when I was there are all older teenagers, if not young adults now. And I think a lot of those younger ones, they're not so young now, are the ones carrying a lot of the weight. But I know my sister, before she left the group, she'd have to get up at 5 a.m. just to change the 30 litter boxes in the garage. Oh, my word. And so you, that whole group is committed to this shelter, this uh, foster system of Eva's Eden, and it's, it's not healthy. Those homes are being destroyed. But the thing is, there's, you put four felines together, you put five or six. There's a lot of unhealthy things that can happen when you put a, sometimes it's good, but sometimes putting that too, too many of these animals together is just unhealthy for the humans and for the cats. And there's still so much happening that just, it seems silly, I know, but it's it's bad. Yeah. It it doesn't need to be this way. And the main thing is she still controls so much of her environment and the people around her and the community. And this woman knows how to be charis- charismatic. She knows how to manipulate, especially men and well, women, I guess. But she, she knows how to control, and she still does. And... The biggest thing I, I was asked recently, do you feel anything towards her anymore? And I said, the biggest thing I feel is that she would stop. Yeah. Just stop hurting people. Yeah. And, and admit the hurt you've done to countless families. Just it makes me wonder story. what would, you know, what her psychology is and what her story is and what would make her. I mean, I suppose it's just an amplification of what so much of any kind of religion does is it tells you that you're a bad person and and then reinforces that through punishment or being ostracized or shunned and and keeps people in line with threats and promises but this is just more extreme in, in its application i suppose it's it's extreme and she from my knowledge to when she was married um, to her first husband, she was controlling. And from what I've understood firsthand from that, you know, the people that knew her that time and have no longer, they're no longer associated with her. She, she had a controlling personality, but also very charismatic, which you combine those two, you've got any, almost any cult leader. That's right. Um, yep. It's, it's very, it's like, I was talking with my sister. She's like, did this woman read of how to be a cult leader book? Yeah. And, and because the more you, I study different cults and understand the things that have happened, it's like they all follow the same structure. They all follow the same guidelines. Right. And the same they, pattern some, of mind control and hypn- almost hypnotizing people. Oh, she did that too. Yeah. She she had us doing breathing exercises that were very similar to hypnotism. Wow. Yeah, I mean, you name it, 
she's she did it and we followed along i'm so glad that you're free <sighs> yeah me too <laughs> <laughs> i i this these last years i've learned to be who i am and to be unapologetic yeah and i i love my life now and i'm ha- happy and it's you know it doesn't mean things are always perfect it just means that i'm choosing my life yes and no one's telling me what to do and how to feel no yeah i just I make my choices and I make my consequences and I, I, I love it. And it sounds like you found a partner that really supports you in this healing process that you're in as well. Yeah, he is, he's my rock. You'd be too shy, shy to agree with that, but he is, and he is, we've both had quite a journey together and we've both really gotten to the same wavelength of how we believe and how we want this world to look like. And we, we've come together on a lot of things, which apparently are very unusual, but I'm very, I'm very lucky. <laughs> I'm very lucky. Yeah, he, he means the world to me. Do you have any sense that um, you'll be able to, or some, not you perhaps, cause maybe you don't want to take on that. And it's certainly not your responsibility to, but do you feel like other members of the group can be saved or uh, educated out of it somehow? Or uh, what what hope do you have for them? And is there yeah? What what would you what would you want for them? I I have all the hope in the world that they will they will see what's happened to them and understand it is a, has been nothing but abuse. Right. I truly truly hope that and i've positioned myself to be of whatever use that it takes to if it's possible to get them there i i'm willing to talk and by talking hopefully others will begin to talk because their stories similar to mine but are much more devastating um than mine that i'm i'm hoping if their stories are heard that that they will, something will leak through. Something will help them see a, a, a light of truth. Um, there are the best thing I could think of is exposure. Yeah. Um, because light, light. Yeah, you got to expose it because abuse is never going to come out into the forefront unless you expose it. And I will do anything within my power to do that and to help others and. That have that are going through situations like I've been through. Um, I want to be open and I want to I want to talk to them if they're they're going through it. If they don't know how to get out of a cult or have gotten out but don't know what to do with their lives, um, whether they're a part of this group or not, I want to be available to help them because I I I didn't know where to go for help, and I w- I I would like to be that for somebody anybody. Yeah. 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 Um, did she ever, did Cheryl ever threaten any kind of physical violence or was it all just emotional manipulation? I, that's a, that's a, probably a, a question with a grayed out answer. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah she, I get you. 
Yeah, she definitely had her sons and the other young men in the group learning to, to you know, to have guns and carry those things around with them. And because they're the men they're supposed to protect. And, right. and so there, there are things that, you know, I'd be weary. I, I personally wouldn't confront them. Right. Um, unless I had the right amount of protection with me. I, I would keep my distance. And the only way I'd ever approach them is probably digitally. Right. Uh, uh, but I, I don't want to over or underestimate the the loyalty of that group. Yeah, that's fair because I mean it is. Yeah, you just don't know. Um, I don't, um, but I know that those young men have gone through training, physical training, and um, hmm. they've gone through training that says that they're willing to defend and they're willing to do what is necessary to protect Christ on Earth. Yeah, I mean, if they believe that Cheryl is Christ on Earth, then sure, you would be willing to do anything, really. Anything, yeah. Yeah. So I, we, I was willing to lie my butt off throughout those all years of anything she told us to lie about. I was lying sure. to my family about everything and anything. So there's small steps of what you're willing to do, and eventually they become bigger steps. And is the whole group called Eva's Eden, or was that just the shelter, the cat shelter? They they're under that umbrella. Yeah, that is the umbrella they uh, they use for. They are not. They will. If you ever ask them or confront them, they are not a religious group. They are not a church group. They have no affiliation any longer with Cheryl Walker, Cheryl Ruthven, whatever Cheryl Herbig. She changes her names quite off to her suiting. Mm. Um, but Classic. yeah, 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 yeah. Um, uh, so she, she's, she will, you know, there's a time when she says she, they put on her website that, or their website, she was in Europe having, um, time of relaxation or meditation or something. And my sister could, uh, you know, testify, no, she was there the whole time. So mm. she, just like all these, you know, they they've tried really hard to separate Cheryl from the name of the group because of how much information has gotten out there. Yeah. But she's in 100% control. Well, it seems like the more people get away from it, like you and your sister and others, you know, and the more stories are told, like the one you're telling now, the, mm -hmm. the better the chance that this kind of, you know, disease, you know, it grows in the darkness, this, this disease. Yes. And, and the more that it, you know, we, we drag it out into the light as you're doing today, very courageously, I might add that, you know, the more that, um, the, the, the shroud of importance that's around it can be diminished, right? So that people can see yes. it for what it really is. And they can also see me who, you know, lightning. I didn't get struck by lightning. And I, you're happier I, now I, than you were before. That should be uh, something. so happy. But I can still see how it's just like anyone in religion sees someone who's not in religion. They're, they might say that their happiness is not true it's just genuine you know, happiness or something it's not genuine it's not with the lord or whatnot and so it's but i am happy i i i still deal with my own depressions and my own insecurities that come and go and i've got sure. a still some healing i whether i want to admit it or not i've still got to heal uh but i mean how could you mine. not i mean that's 
it's remarkable, even just listening to you talk. And I remember interviewing um, Marsha Wickham. I don't know if you heard yes. that episode. Oh, I did. I have the same yeah. feeling talking to her that she and, and she's much further from the actual abuse that she suffered than you are. It's much more recent for you. And, and I'm just actually quite shocked that you're able to speak about it so clearly and so lucidly and 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 I know it's emotional for you and you're and you're being strong right now I understand that but but you're like you have it seems like come a long way in such a few number of years it's it's really really beautiful thank you and and I don't want my um my uh, lack of emotion to come off as uh as to diminish the story I want to tell not at all I yeah, I believe my my detaching myself from my past has created what might have come off as a, a coolness, and I, I've had to do it for my own sake. Of course, um, and there's a gravi- yeah. there's a gravitas though I think in your voice that to me reveals the heaviness and the seriousness of it. That it's not like you're speaking about it in a flippant way. I mean, I, I can't even imagine you speaking about it in that way. Um, but it, it's your voice makes me feel like someone who like you've understood what you've been through. You've begun to grasp it. You're going through a healing process and, mm-hmm. and it's, it's, it's deeply important and, and yet you, you see it for what it is and you're able to talk about it maybe for the first time in your life in the last couple of months, you know, in a really clear way. Yeah. And, Probably the last four months actually. Yeah. And that's that's remarkable, and I think it's a testament to um, human resilience for one thing, and then your yeah. your spe- you specifically your resilience, and and just the the human spirit, if I can use that expression, that that yeah. that longs to thrive and wants freedom and wants to like re- it's almost like a plant that reaches for the sun and bends to reach for the sun mm-hmm. like our our souls i mean i you know it's not a word i use very often but the the yeah. es- the essence of who we are like the core of our humanity reaches out for this freedom and when we find it we begin to grow like a plant yeah. and and i can imagine exactly. you must feel that that sense of growth like you could almost watch you grow probably yeah well it feels like getting your life back yeah and it's it's wonderfully rebellious because I wasn't allowed to be rebellious for so long that I, it's a little bit of like, take this. Yeah. Yeah. I, I know that's, it may sound prideful, but I, I'm okay with that. Just yeah. Take this. Yeah. I don't, I'm not under that control anymore. And there are too many people that have even left the group that are so frightful. Hmm. And it's, I don't mean that to, to insult them by any means. It just means that that hold Cheryl created in them for so long is still so present that they they can't budge. Yeah, and I will fight for them. I mm. I will. So, so sorry, I'm, I know I'm on my soapbox, but no, I, no, that's beautiful. And I I mean I think it's a great. Um, I mean the story kind of comes full circle, you know, and you, you know you. Um, I mean, as I think about the story you've just told and, and, you know, for the sake of those that are listening, like I, I want to mention, like, this is the first time I've heard this story. So like, you know, Rachel didn't like fill me in on all of this ahead of time. I'm, I'm literally hearing this 
for the first time as you all are hearing it for the first time. And I just feel like, you know, you got into religion because you wanted to experience something deeper about your life. You wanted to connect with the truth of the universe or whatever. And, and you thought you had it and it took you down a dark hole and you're getting finally to the thing that meant so much to you from the beginning is like life itself, like being able to experience the joy and, and the beauty of life. And you're, you're, you're on that path now. I am. And I hope, I hope to help others do the same. And your sister, she's doing okay. She's doing wonderfully. She's, she's still growing and there's still, still moments where, uh, that old fear can grip her. Of course. Um, yeah, she's, I mean, she's still got to get through some stuff, but she, she's doing beautifully. And, I'm happy to say that my relationship with her, it's taken these two years since she's left the group. And I would say just even in these last several, less than several months, we've, I think we've gotten our friendship back and we're, we are talking all the time now. And it just makes me very happy that we've, we've gotten our friendship back. Well, I can't tell you how happy I am for you guys. And, and I know it'll just, you know, you got a lot of life left ahead of you, so I, I'm sure it'll just okay. continue to grow. And I want to get this out there, and uh, I want people to ask questions. Yeah, and, and let's blow uh, the lid off this crazy thing, so the other forty or yeah. fifty people can get out. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, if you want to look it up on Facebook, it's going to look like this cute little cat rescue. You won't see anything of what I talked about today, right? Uh, but it's evaseden.org, or you can Facebook Eva's Eden. Um, but I will plug in, there is a website or not a web, excuse me, a Facebook page called, and for anyone who's interested, please look this up. Is there a cult in Columbia, Tennessee? That is the title of the Facebook page. And there have been several of us who have gotten together and put our stories on that. And I would encourage anyone who's interested, please go read those stories. Uh, is there a cult? in Columbia, Tennessee. And there's some pretty sad things on there, but it also just needs to be heard. Like we were saying a minute ago, that the truth is its own kind of antidote, you know? And as people's stories are being told, um, the lies cannot, uh, you know, hold up. And people yeah, can, people can find freedom. So that's the goal. Well, thank you, Ryan. I so appreciate it. Thank you for tuning in to this production of The X-Files. And special thank you to Rachel Gunderson for sharing that story so courageously. And uh, I'm, I'm deeply hopeful that by her and others sharing their stories, uh, those that are still trapped inside that organization can find their way out. To learn more about Life After God and The X-Files, please visit our website at lifeaftergod.org. I hope you'll tune in next week for our next installment of the Life After God podcast. Until then, I'm your host, Ryan Bell, and this has been The X-Files, Stories of Life After God. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. 
This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.